so if you'd bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the mighty and holy name of Jesus. And Father God, you have worked so much in my life, throughout my life, Father God. And I just pray right now that the things that you've done in my life will help others, knowing that you are no respecter of persons. But what you've done in me, through me, and for me, you will do for others. And I just thank you for this opportunity, Father God. And I pray that the words that I speak tonight would not be my words, but yours, Father God. Speak to hearts and lives. Send your Holy Spirit in the anointing of your spirit right now. And I pray these things right now in the blessed, holy, wonderful, strong, powerful, living, loving name of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to start out um, by just briefly telling you a little bit about my life. I was born in Detroit, Michigan, but my family moved to Florida when I was two years old. So I grew up in Florida. And my uh, family were Episcopalians. We had some Catholics in our family, um, cousins, but mainly we were Episcopalians. So mainly we were non-practicing Episcopalians. We went to church on Easter Sunday. Once in a while we went to midnight service on Christmas Eve, and that's how I grew up in my early life. But much of my early life was spent with my grandparents in the country in a little town called Astatula, Florida. It's near Tavares and Mount Dora and Leesburg and in that area of Florida. And at that time, if you blinked, you'd miss it. It's grown quite a bit since then, but it had a population of about 500 people. And my grandpa, um, he had 50 orange trees on each side of his driveway. And across the one side, 50 orange trees, there was a Baptist church. And when I lived with my grandparents, that's where I'd go to church. And I got my first Bible when I was five years old from a friend who used to take me to church. She'd hold my hand and walk me to the church on Sunday mornings. But it wasn't until I was nine years old and I went back to live with my grandparents when I was nine that I went to vacation Bible school. And I love vacation Bible school. It's very near and dear to my heart because that's where I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus when I was nine years old. And I went to that little Baptist church for about a year. And then I went back to Orlando to live with my parents again. And kind of fell away from God for a year, year and a half. And then my dad decided that he wanted to be a layperson serving Holy Communion at the altar in the Episcopal Church in Orlando. So we started going to church again. And I went to confirmation and all of that stuff, and I learned a great deal about the Bible. I memorized the word, and I tried to grow in the Lord, but I don't, something was missing, and I soon fell away from God, and I backslid big time. And in my teen years, I really rebelled. I was an only child. I didn't have any brothers or sisters. And so... You know, my parents, my mom had to work. My dad, of course, had to work. And and we struggled. The finances were not as they should have been many times. Um, But my parents did, you know, a good job of providing what they could for us. But every weekend that I could, I spent with my grandparents. 
Christmas holidays, Thanksgiving holidays, summer holidays. I loved being out in the country, and I loved going to that little Baptist church. I loved hearing the church bells ring. And by the way, that's something I love about this church. You can hear the church bells ring on Sundays. I love that, the music that they play. It brings back so many fond memories. But in my teen years, I started delving into some things that are an abomination to the Lord. But let me regress just a little bit. When I was a sophomore in high school, we moved to St. Petersburg. And a friend of mine that lived down the street, she said, there's a dance for teenagers on Friday nights from 8 to 11. Would you like to go? And I said, sure. So my dad dropped us off. We had to pay a dollar to get in, and they stamped our hands. So if we left, we had to pay to get in again. So it was an incentive not to leave the dance. But that's where I met my future husband, Bob. He, we went to different schools together. <laughs> they were traditional rivals. And that was the one and only time we went to that dance. But God had to get us both there so that we would meet. And there was something different about him. I mean, I had dated, but not... Um, I never really found anybody like him. He was different. He was kind and nice. You know, and, and we had fun together. We didn't have to go out and spend a lot of money. We'd hang out at his house or we'd hang out at my house. Or we'd go to a movie or um, we'd cruise steak and shake. You know, we could get a car. It was a big thing, teenagers on Friday nights driving around and around steak and shake who who had what car there and whether our friends were there or not, you know, but um, we started going steady. And we dated, and then in our senior year, we broke up for a while, dated other people, and then got back together. And when we were 19 years old, we got married. We'd been dating for about three and a half years, and people said, oh, you're never going to make it. But we did. This year in October, we'll celebrate 49 years of marriage. And I just want to say I thank God for my husband. God created my husband for me, especially for me. He encourages me. He blesses me. He loves me unconditionally. And I thank God for him every single day because he is a blessing. When you find a good one, you hold on to him, right? But in the meantime, Bob went into the Air Force. And so we had to go through basic training and all of that. And my mother's next-door neighbor. I lived with my parents during this time. And I worked. And I hung out with my friends. I had a car, so I'd chauffeur them around. And when he was uh, in basic training, and then, you know, well, after that, he went to Thailand during the Vietnam War and worked on the planes and the missions over Nam. And my mother's next-door neighbor got me into witchcraft and fortune-telling. And, you know, I thought I had a gift from God. I was so deceived. And I'd like to tell you what the Word of God says about that. And you find it in the book of Leviticus. And the 19th chapter, verse 26 first it says, do not practice divination or sorcery. And then going down in the same chapter to the 31st verse, 
Do not turn to mediums to seek or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. This is an abomination to the Lord, but I was so deceived that I didn't even realize it. And I learned how to read cards, not tarot cards, but a regular deck of cards. And I was starting to learn how to read poems. And the scary part about it was that I could talk to a complete stranger and I could tell them what was going to happen in their life and it happened. Because they'd come back and tell me. And that's why I thought I had a gift from God. But the Lord tells us in his word, don't worry about tomorrow. He's in control. And when we realize that God's in control, we don't have to worry about anything. We don't have to worry about it. He will tell us what we need to know at the time that we need to know it. So, you know, that's one thing that God taught me is that he's in control of my life and I need to learn to trust him and obey him and do what he tells me to do and listen to him and not worry about what's going to happen in my future. He holds our future in his hands. Nothing can happen to us that he doesn't allow. So we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to worry. But when I was into this, I had such a spirit of fear come upon me, such a spirit of fear, that I couldn't even be in a room full of people sometimes without having chills go up and down my back. And God delivered me from that spirit of fear. And from that point to this, I just tell the devil when he tries to make me scared, I say, get out of here. You're under my feet. You know, I don't have to listen to you. You're a liar. You know, I love that song that we sing, Fear is a Liar. You know, because God showed me that a long time ago. And, you know, the, the singing talent kind of skipped my generation and Bob's generation. Luckily, our children have it. Yeah, so, and I thank God for that because I love music. But I make a joyful noise to the Lord. But it, goes up as a sweet sound in his ear, so that's all that matters to me. So, but, um, but you know, God took this little nine-year-old girl and brought her through all this stuff. And when I was 25 years old, well, actually, let me, let me go back. I was 23 when Rob was born, and he was born in Germany. And when he was about 13 months old, he contracted spinal meningitis. He got really sick, but we didn't know that that's what it was. And that's not the first thing that they usually look for when you take your kid to the doctor. And so we took him to our base clinic, and um, they finally figured out what was wrong. Well, by that time, he was so sick that he was, you know, they weren't sure if he was going to make it, so they rushed him by ambulance to Wiesbaden General hospital and he's our miracle because he wasn't expected to make it and if he they said if he does make it you know he may be mentally challenged he may have hearing problems he may be blind you know because his spinal fluid was like milk well they said he would be in the hospital once they got him through the crucial point they said he'd be in the hospital you know, at least 10 days, maybe longer. Well, he was out of the hospital in seven days and home. And we worked with him. We brought in educational toys. And by the time he started first grade, he was caught up. 
And now he's way above that as IQ. I don't know what it is now, but I know it was pretty high before. And he's, you know, our God is an amazing God. But, you know, I had backslidden. And I would go to the hospital and I would see my son. And then I'd go to the NCO club and I'd sit there and drink and listen to the music. And then I'd go, they had a hotel near the, the hospital. And so I'd go back the next morning and same cycle all over again. But we had people that, in our family, that were Christians. Bob's older brother was a minister. And when he got word, he went to church and prayed and fasted. And he said, I prayed and fasted until I knew there was a breakthrough, that I knew he was going to be okay. So your prayers do work. And then God has tried to take my life many times. I've had a lot of surgeries. I've had a lot of issues. But God has healed me. Every step of the way. I'm 67 years old. I don't mind telling people how old I am. And I'm healthier today than I was 20 years ago. And God does that for us. If we trust him and obey him and do what he tells us to do. God led us to move from our apartment about eight kilometers from base into base housing because our car started breaking down. Bob needed a way to get to work. We moved into base housing and we lived on the third floor of a four-floor walk-up. And below us, there was a Baptist lady and she would hear our parties that we'd have on the weekends, have all our friends over, and she'd start praying for us. And I know those prayers were going right up through our ceiling. And I started babysitting this one little boy on Sunday nights, um, his mom was a friend of Gail's um, who lived floor below us, and um, he was the same age as Rob. But for some reason, they did not get along. Those two kids, I mean, both of them were good-natured kids, but the two of them did not get along. I want to tell you, I realize now God was stirring the waters. Okay. So I told Gail, I said, you know, I said, I've tried this for weeks. Simona, his mom, sang in the choir at the base chapel on Sunday nights, and they didn't have a nursery. So she needed to find a babysitter for him. So since we lived on base, you know, it was nice and convenient. But, you know, there was, they'd cry and they'd fuss and they'd fight over toys. I'd, I'd never seen anything like it. Well, God was stirring the waters. So I asked Gail to take me over to Mona's one Saturday and tell her, hey, you know, you need to find somebody else. I can't do this. Well, they were talking about, you know, the second or the rapture of the church and the second coming and everything. And I'd had just enough Bible teaching that I knew what they were talking about to a certain extent. So I sat there and listened. So I told Gail on the way home, and I, I know it was the Spirit of the Lord that made me say it. I said, I want to go to church with you in the morning. I thought she was going to drive off the road. Seriously. I thought she was going to drive off the road, but you know what? I did go to church with her the next morning. I don't remember what he preached about. I have no clue. I didn't remember that day. The only thing that I could remember is I had to get down that aisle before I chickened out when they had the altar call. And I did. I was the first one. I don't think he was even finished saying it. And I was in that aisle and up to that altar and rededicating my life to the Lord. And I was 25 years old, and I went home, and I'm walking around, and I'm praising the Lord, and I'm happy, and I'm praying, and I'm singing, and, 
you know, and all of that. And Bob's looking at me like, you know, I'm some kind of alien from outer space. And he said, don't preach to me. Don't talk to me about it. It's quit praising the Lord. Well, Gail started praying. I started praying. Other people started praying. Three weeks later, it's on a Sunday night. I didn't go to church that night. He did. He gave his heart to the Lord three weeks later. So we've been praising the Lord and making a joyful noise to the Lord ever since. Amen. Give glory to the Lord because, you know, it's, it's, it's God. It's not me. It's God. I give him all the glory. But, you know, God also, when I first became a Christian or when I first rededicated my life to the Lord, God gave me a ministry. I started writing poems. And we knew some guys that had a Christian rock band. And they were really on fire for the Lord. And I gave them the words, and they set them to music. And so I started writing poems. And, you know, when people would, what we call PCS, out permit the change of station, you know, go to another base, I'd write a poem for them about friendship or something like that. God, you know, gave me that ministry. So he called me to write a long time ago, very long time ago. Because that was in 1975, okay? But all along the way, God has given me a ministry of writing, but he also took us to different places where we were able to minister with puppets. And he took us out to California. Well, first of all, he took us to Oklahoma. And they had a puppet ministry there, and they asked if anybody could write new scripts for their puppets because they were running out of material. Okay, you know, I was willing to do whatever God wanted me to do. And I said, yeah, let me, let me look at the puppets. Let me see the minister so I can get an idea of what their personalities are. So I, write it, I, I started writing scripts for their puppets. And pretty soon, Bob got out of the Air Force. We stayed at that church. We worked with the puppet ministry. And everything, we had an opportunity, um, the church did, or the children's ministry, to have 30 minutes of free airtime for a Christian kids program on a secular cable station. Well, I had written a book called You Are Special, and i got to tell you about this, because it was for children, answering the basic biblical questions for children. I'd been teaching children's church. We went to a big church. It was Crossroads Cathedral. They had a membership of about 4,000 people. And that didn't fill the sanctuary. They had a 6,000 sanctuary. And, um, but their children's ministry was amazing. And I had written this book, and it was through adversity. I found out that I had to have a hysterectomy, and I was very, very sick. And I wrote this book, and I didn't even have a word processor. Bob worked for a word processing company. He was, he'd gotten out of the Air Force at that time. And they allowed him in the evenings and on Saturdays to use the machines there in the office. And it was when they actually had the floppy disk, the five-and-a-quarter-inch disk. You could actually bend them, okay? And we worked with two disks. And... I would type for a while, and then I would save it on the disk, and then he'd put it in another machine, and he'd proof it for me, and I'd be working on another disk, typing more. Well, 
The devil tried to stop us. And what happened was we lost. I had three quarters of the book on one disc and a quarter of it on the other disc. We lost the disc that had three quarters of the book on it. So not to be defeated by the enemy because he just gets me playing out and out mad. He really does. And so anyway, what I did on a Saturday is I asked some friends to come over and watch our kids. And we went and we typed the whole thing over again. I mean, it wasn't that long, but 13 hours it took me. But we did it. And a friend of ours in the church, he printed it for us. And it went on TV. And our daughter, Trisha, she was just a little taller. And she was on TV. You know, and I mean, it was a precious program. But you know, whatever the devil tries to throw at you, just remember, he's, he's a liar. He doesn't win. And don't let him deceive you. Do not, under any circumstances, let him deceive you. And you know... God took us to different places to minister with the puppets. He took us all over the world. We ministered in Germany because, you know, Bob was in the Air Force. And we had an opportunity to minister with puppets. And the devil tried to defeat us there. He tried to stop us. He tried to, he brought people in, well-meaning Christians that said, you know, this is an idolatry and all of that. And, you know, I almost stopped doing it. But God said no. And I put a fleece before the Lord for this one show because all of this started just piling up and piling up. And I said, God, I've been doing this for 10 years now. If you didn't want me to do it, if what these people say is true, then why did you let me keep on? I said, God, I'm going to put a fleece before you. I said, we're going to do a program this morning. And I said, if, when we give the altar call, if this is not your will, this is not your will, then just let everything be silent. And that's the only thing I knew to say. And I was crying, and Bob grabbed hold of my shoulder and said, because I didn't even want to do the program. I was so distraught. And he said, you're going to do this program. So you just, you know, get up, wipe your tears, and we're going. So we did. So I put that fleece before the Lord, and then I got scared, and I thought, ooh, you know, maybe that wasn't a good fleece for the Lord. When I gave the altar call, Hands started going up all over the place, and I realized at that point, God's going to use those puppets. He's going to use the ministry for his glory. He gave it to us. He gave us the ability. And that's another scripture verse that I want to take you to because I hang on to this all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. Mark that in your Bibles. When you get discouraged when you get insecure, when you think you can't, yes, you can, through Christ, who strengthens you and gives you the ability to do whatever he calls you to do. Now about relationships. You know, along the way, anybody that's been married as long as Bob and I have, we don't really remember too much of life any other way but with each other. Kind of grew up together. That's cool. But... Along the way, there's rocky times. You're not always going to get along. You start getting off track. And I remember my grandparents, they were married 51 years before my grandfather passed away. 
and I never heard them raise their voice to each other. I never heard them really have an argument. The worst my grandmother would say to my grandfather is, now Teddy, now Teddy. He'd say, okay, Margaret, okay, Peggy. Sometimes he'd call her Peggy, you know, and, and um, that, that, that was it. Um, my personality is not like that. I'm headstrong. <laughs> okay, and along the way, you're going to have rocky times. And back in 1996, our youngest daughter got very, very sick. She almost died. She had a rare birth defect, and they didn't, didn't flare up until she was in her teen years. She was in the hospital for about a month, intensive care for about 11 days. She had three surgeries inside of four days. We almost lost her. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. Finally, they found out what was wrong. She was throwing up blood. She was, I mean, it was awful. And during that time, Bob and I were having a rocky time in our relationship as well. And God started teaching me at that point about perspective. And I want to share some things about perspective with you. And hopefully, it will minister to you and speak to your heart. Because... You know, as you go along, we get so busy in today's society. We're a global society, and we're connected through technology. And I'm a teacher. I've been in education for about 27 years. I've taught middle school, high school, college level, and now I'm back to middle school teaching sixth graders. And we're a global society, and we become so busy with our lives that we forget about the important things. We forget to sit at the feet of Jesus. And God started teaching me about perspective. And believe me, it's never any one person's fault. You hurt each other. You kind of fall away from each other. And it seems like you're together, but you're going your separate ways, and that's what happened. And then going through all of this with our daughter, our youngest daughter, Stephanie. She's another miracle because God healed her. And, you know, it, it's... God started teaching me about perspective. And he taught me about forgiveness. And he said, you know, he said, I forgave you. And then he started showing me the things that I needed to change in my life because I kept praying for Bob to change. And that's cool. You can pray for your spouse. Don't pray for God to make them like you think they should be. Pray for God to make your spouse like he wants your spouse to be. That's one thing that God taught me. That's, You know, you got to look at things from God's perspective because he told us, he told us that we have to have a willing heart and that we have to look at things the way that he looks at them. And you know, the story of Mary and Martha, find the excerpt or the, the chapter in the book of Luke. And it's in... See here. It's in the tenth chapter of Luke, verses thirty-eight to forty-two. And Martha was busy in the kitchen getting food ready and all of that stuff. 
And, you know, I, I think of Martha as a person who thinks, you know, if she does enough work, she'll get, her, she'll get into heaven. You know, have you met people like that? They're just busy, busy, busy. And then Mary, she sat at the feet of Jesus, listened to Jesus. And Jesus was very kind to Martha, and he said, Martha, Mary has chosen the better route. And that's what we need to do, sit at the feet of Jesus. And not only pray, but listen. God didn't make a mistake when he only gave us one mouth and two ears. That means we should do at least twice as much listening as we do talking, right? Does that make sense? He didn't make any mistakes. That's what I tell my sixth graders. Also, two ears to listen with, so please use them. <laughs> so, But the thing is, God started teaching me about real forgiveness. And about, and if we forgive somebody, we don't hold it against them. And then I know that he was talking to Bob because I had some things that I had to be forgiven for as well. Because you hurt each other. And you kind of draw away and you don't even realize you're doing it sometimes. And sometimes you love them, but you don't like them. Right? So, and that's Okay. That happens. If you're together long enough, that's going to happen from time to time. And then again in 2006, we went through another rocky time in our marriage. And again, we started drawing apart. And all I could think about was me, myself, and I. And I'm sure that some of you can relate to that. Me, myself, and I. I get hurt. Well, Bob made me realize that not only was I getting hurt, but I was hurting him too. He was being rejected. And then God gave me, like, revelation knowledge. I don't know any other way to put it. And from that point to this, he's really opened up perspective to me. And that is, he said, think about how he feels. Now, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. And God said, that's all he said. And he kept saying it to me. Think about how he feels. And then all of a sudden, something happened. A change in my heart. And I hurt, but not for myself, but for my husband. And I realized, you know, what's past is past. Forget about it. Move on. Move forward. Move on. Don't stay in this rut. Don't think about me, myself, and I. And God told me to start using the talent that he gave me and writing poetry to my husband to let him know. Because he started thinking that I didn't love him anymore. That wasn't true. But again, we got busy. We started going our own way. Don't do it. Don't do that. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Spend time with your family. Spend time with your spouse, with your children, with your mother, your father, whoever else. You know, if we can't get along here, we're going to spend eternity together in heaven, right? Okay? God's not going to put up with that. So we better start practicing getting along down here, right? Everybody in agreement with that? Amen. But I started sending a poem every morning to his work email. Pretty soon, if it wasn't there by a certain time, he'd call me. Where's my poem? 
not only himself, but a whole group of his workers standing around his computer waiting for that poem. I said, wait a minute, these are for your eyes only. This was back in 2006. But what God showed me through that is that when I started focusing not on my problems, not on my hurts, but how I had hurt my husband, it healed me by focusing on him. It healed him because he knew that how much I really did love him and how much he meant to me by the words that I wrote in that poem. Three years later, he talked me into writing a book, and it's entitled Dance Into the Wind, and it's a collection of not only the poems that I wrote him, but some earlier poetry that I had written. And we got it published. Unfortunately, the publisher that published that book closed, so I'm looking for a new one, but God will show me. You know, he set a precedent a long time ago, and I, you know, and I just... I remind him, God, I know that you'll show me. In the meantime, God's called me to write other books. I'm working on a book called God's Perspective. I've shared a little bit of what's going in that book with you tonight. But you've got to look at things the way God looks at them. Okay? In um, the book of John 14, 12th verse, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things because I am going to the Father. Okay, think about this. Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. He ministered to people. And we're going to do greater things? Wow. Think about it. That's God's perspective. And we, we don't even think about those things. And then if we go into the book of Matthew, the 28th chapter, the Great Commission. And here, I want to turn to that 28th chapter of the book of Matthew. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Do we have a calling on our lives? Absolutely, everybody does. The way that you fulfill that calling is your special talent and gift from the Lord that he expects you to share with others. But we are all commanded, all commanded to go. And that's God's perspective. And that's how he wants us to look at things. So when you see your brother, when you see your sister, you see the hurting, pray for them. If you can meet a need in their lives, meet it. Hold their hand, hug them, love them the way Christ did. We don't have to love the sin We separate the sin from the sinner. We don't have to like what people do sometimes, but we love people. And that's what God commands us to do. And that's how we have the ability to go and talk to them. 
And we don't want to judge people. That's God's job. I don't want his job. Okay? That, that, no, no. I, you know, he can, he can do that just fine. He knows our hearts. Man looks on the outer appearance. God looks on the heart. But I want you to know that God, the way that God is working in you, the way that he's healed us, the way that he's helped me to see his perspective on things, when you get hurt, when you feel sad, you feel like crying, okay, cry. It's okay. Jesus wept, wept over Jerusalem. It's okay. But then ask God to put it in his perspective. Ask him what you need to do to help fix things. All this strife and all this stuff, you know, that's going on, that's not God's will. That's the enemy coming in and trying to stop us from doing what God has called us to do. Get into the Word. Pray. Read your Bible. This is the manufacturer's handbook. This is the how-to for our Christian walk. Get into it. Read it. Believe it. Act on it. And God will help you put things into perspective so that you can do what he's called you to do. And it doesn't matter if you're five years old or 95 or 105. My mother-in-law, she lived to be 94 years old. And even though she was in a hospital bed in her home, she still made calls for the church. People who were sick, people who were in the hospital, she'd call and find out how they were and then report back to the church. Until the day that she died, she was one of the smartest people I knew. And she didn't even have a high school education. She was one of the smartest people I ever knew. I was very, very blessed to have a mother-in-law like her. Very blessed. And you know, my prayer for all of you is that something that I have said tonight will touch your heart, will motivate you. Because of what God has done in my life, that he will motivate you to do what he wants you to do. Each one of us has a job. Maybe more than one. But put it into perspective. Sit at the feet of Jesus and learn how to do it well and then do what he tells you to do. Would you bow your heads with me?